What is something you enjoy in small doses that you don't necessarily enjoy in large doses? Obviously, alcohol comes to mind, mm. but more prominently, disagree. <laughs> I knew you would. I I more prominently <laughs> think of cake. Oh yeah, like an entire any super rich food, <laughs> like fudge. Just oh. imagine eating just a bucket of fudge. Dad, I can. Fudge. I'm imagining it, and I wish I was. This is a bad question for me. Um, so, I, we're learning a lot more about what Jake's personality is like. I'm a glutton. Like, literally, it's like, why would I have a slice of pizza when I can have the entire pizza? Is always my question that I'm dealing with. I feel like we got to work through some of this stuff, Jake. <laughs> Oh, that that was uh, I can't remember where I saw it. It was like um, <clears throat> I wish I could get every artist who is like a starving artist and pay them to do what they love every day to make them hate it. <laughs> because it really is like if you love something, if you are forced to do it every day for a, for for profit or you know you will grow to hate what you love, which is really weird and sad. And yeah, that's a big part of my wife being a photographer. Uh, when she was in high school, photography was her hobby. She loved doing it. And what is it? 10 years later, she is not a hobby anymore. It's just a job. She still likes doing it, but it's not something she does for fun. So she's had to find other things that she enjoys doing. And none of them yeah. are photography. Yeah, it's the same way me uh it's the same way me listening to you guys on the podcast. Like whenever you guys do something crazy or you guys get really loud or we all get really excited, it's great, but then I go, "Oh, these waveforms are going to look real ugly and oh. I'm going to have to deal with it." <laughs> right? Oh, I thought you were referencing recording. And you were just oh. saying, yeah, it's just like having enjoy... to hang out with you guys all the time has <laughs> oh, become yeah. a chore and no. it's no longer fun. That's I'm like, not... wow, what an insult. Oh, God, yeah, no, but yeah, recording with you guys used to be great and now it's just oh, a no. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, back when we made the podcast a year ago, I enjoyed being around you guys and now it's really just a chore. I just loathe it every second. <laughs> um, when, when are we done with this episode? <laughs> Oh, it's got so dark. <laughs> All right, so based on this conversation, Jake, now I think something should come to mind for something that you only like in small doses. Anything. <sighs> children. Oh, yeah, actually, that's a good one. <laughs> wow, yeah, children. I love when I can be like, like, I was a social worker for about a year, a little over, and, and like, I could go into any home with several foster kids and I, I could show up and be the cool guy, and I could just be like, yeah, what's up? And every kid just loved me, and it was awesome. Um, but I, but even now, it's like, I never want a child. Mm. <laughs> like, because, you know, when you have to go away, and as someone who had to answer the on-call phone for these foster kids, it's like, yeah. The problems that happen when no one's looking is this stuff that you don't, yeah. So probably kids. Like, I love kids. Like, I wish I could show up for 20 minutes and just like make any kid's day you know it's like would i ever want to sleep in the same house as a child absolutely not <laughs> so what i'm hearing is that jake is the world's greatest parent for 20 minutes yeah he sounds, sounds like the world's uh, one greatest of those clowns uncle that shows up to a party and then just leaves i often think of jake as a party clown <laughs> i uh, uh, honestly if anyone's hiring uh yeah i can do that really cheap <laughs> would you dungeon master professionally if you had to do it five days a week for 
Oh, yeah. Oh. I would. Oh. I mean, but would you play it in your spare time if you were doing it full time as a job? See, that's so you're saying. I would absolutely do it full time. Um, because anyone who gets paid to do something that doesn't want to make them kill themselves, how do I put that better? Uh, any anyone will do anything uh, if they can. Like it's bearable to get their capitalist income, right? But like, I think everything else would suffer. I would absolutely be a dungeon master five days a week, seven days a week, but. I would, you know, make a decent amount of money and it would be good, but my home game would definitely suffer if I didn't cancel it. Hmm. So that that's a really interesting question. See, I, I absolutely would not play D&D for fun anymore if it was my job. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it would still be a decent job. Oh, but yeah, I think it would, I would have make fun. me... But I think but after a while, it would almost be more like teaching, especially if it was like younger kids. Yes. Because then you're Cause just it's having still to... improvisational, but it's not as like gleeful, if that makes sense. In a way, it's almost like being a party clown if you were doing it for children. Because <laughs> you're paid to show up for a certain amount of time and you're there to entertain kids. Oh yeah. my God. Or young adults. I'm so it's like putting depressed. on an act. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine clowns as the happiest <clears throat> people, but they're really just like, oh no. I used to think that. My life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 46, One-Shots. So, David, what is a one-shot? So, a one-shot... A one-shot is typically an adventure that only lasts one session. Wow. And that's the show, folks. And that's that's <laughs> it. All right, wrap it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's I mean, accurate. I mean, to put it simply. Um, some of the one-shots I have run have actually spilled into... Uh, two or three other sessions and so it, i would call it almost like a uh, mini series campaign compared to yeah. a year of D, like let's just play like three or four sessions and it's self-contained and it's it's all done i think it lowers the commitment for sure like it, it it this might be something that you pitch to your friends where you go um hey do you guys want to play this thing uh it's like this and uh yeah you can kind of do it without the commitment of being like, hey, do you guys want to be in this thing that lasts uh, for a few years and it has to be every <laughs> Tuesday for that amount of time? It's like, no, it, it's much better to be like, hey, let's just come over. We'll do this this crazy, um, just like, you know, fantasy role-playing thing, which is like a one-shot. Um, and that's how you get them hooked. Couple of hours, quick adventure, in and out. Let's go, in and out, 20 minutes adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Leave them hungry for more. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think... Um, one shots are a good way to introduce people to the game. They're also a good way to break up the tone of a currently running game. Um, I've mm -hmm. done this with huge campaigns that wrap up. Uh, I've given each of my players a chance to be the dungeon master, um, to feel my pain, uh, and to <laughs> kind of have some creative freedom to do some crazy stuff of their own. And that they've all been fantastically wonderful in each of their own ways. Um, so I think one shots are a great way to. Yeah, there's kind of two extremes. It's either to break up 
a currently running game. It's like, let's just try this out. Let's 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 uh, get our feet wet in different genres or different uh, systems. Um, or it is um, it serves a really introductory function to people who haven't played. Would you ever consider doing a one shot that is that takes place in your campaign setting and it's kind of like a flashback or something? Oh, that is wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I absolutely yes. I've actually um my players are listening, but yeah, I've had um I've started getting into the habit of in my sessions um every other session or so I'll have like a a, a flashback or a flash forward uh, or like a a kind of uh, epilogue or a uh, post credit scene or um, stuff like that, that, that really like kind of expands in the world and goes like, Oh, what were their other characters they used to play as doing in the world? Stuff like that. Um, And I would love to expand on one of those kind of post credit scenes and be like, okay, what is happening? So this character, Oh my gosh, meets this character. What do they do? And it's like, Oh, that's, that's really interesting. And it's like, I, I'm getting to the point where, yeah, I'd love to be like, okay, what would happen if these two characters uh, met and were just like buddy cops in this type of universe um, or this plane of existence? Um, and then everyone else can kind of pick characters surrounding them. Um, but yeah, that's that's high on my list of priorities because I feel like that could be really, really cool to expand the universe and, you know, just trying to make my own uh, Arcadia cinematic universe. <laughs> Imagine a campaign where... Uh, you have a, a cutaway session where you play as the villains, mm-hmm. and you're like organizing oh, and like their yeah, plans. Like, yeah, super cool. Actually, it reminds me of all things. It reminds me of Paper Mario on the N64. Oh my god, such a good game. Yeah, so good. I used to play it every year. Um, That's so good. But you have the main story, and then um, you have these interludes between chapters. Is how the game was broken up, where you play as Peach, who is sort of um, I wouldn't say infiltrating, but she's learning more about like this other side of the story. And it was very small little scenes and um, really fun. And they broke up the pacing of the game. So you, you have these different systems, maybe uh, in D&D terms, different spells now, different class you can play with. Um, it's almost like you could run, um, if we're using Paper Mario as our model, um, between chapters or, or between big sections of your campaign, another mini campaign oh, in, so in the form good. of one-shots. So, That's so good. an idea that runs, yeah, comes to my mind is how game of thrones is kind of laid out is you have these you you get to see different areas of the world point of view characters different Mm -hmm. point of view characters and i'm wondering like if you had a campaign that was different points of view that slowly merged together so you had different characters that would merge in and out of different stories like how like that would be super cool to play in and you're just seeing the world develop from several different angles over time and slowly kind of merge together that would be such a massive undertaking for the gm to orchestrate this because obviously like if you're writing a story you can control the characters but yeah um man if they could pull it off so okay i think this i mean i don't know if uh i think this this will be done obviously we're not the first people to think of this but i think that 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 could be a great opportunity for people that are doing streaming uh like D let's plays or like like uh live plays sort of things to have like several different dungeon masters or even the same dungeon master doing several different parties that are interacting in the same world like this whole marvel cinematic universe thing like like building building a world together and like seeing how your players affect it oh i could see it'd be a massive undertaking 
uh, with a lot of buy-in, but I feel like it could be really cool. It sounds like we're talking about using one-shots to supplement existing campaigns, but in my experience, one-shots for me are um, to combat burnout or because the group suddenly dissolved. Um, Or maybe I just wanted to try a different system for a while. Um, So those are all... Or you don't have enough time to commit to a campaign, but you still want to play occasionally. Yeah, so mm-hmm. often I have players who uh, aren't in my main game, and I, I know that I won't have an opening for a long time, and they just really want to play. Schedules line up like the planets align, and, um, and I just say, well, let's run something. I, I can make something. And actually, some of my very favorite D&D games I've run in my life came out of short-form campaigns. They were only two or three or maybe four sessions long. Yeah, and th- this reminds me of, I listen to a lot of, like, uh, podcasts, and several of those are, like, comedy podcasts, and uh, the one that comes to mind, obviously, is uh, Harmontown, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Spencer Crittenton of uh, Harmon Quest fame comes from, and he, uh, yeah, it kind of started really randomly of him, like, running Dungeons & Dragons for Dan Harmon and a bunch of, kind of, uh, uh, improv comedians on stage, um, and it turned really great and it's very sporadic. Like some days they just won't play, like it just won't happen. Uh, other days they will. Um, and it's just kind of the sporadic thing that like, it comes out of nowhere, but like the improv comedy nature of it makes it fantastic. And so I think a lot of times, um, you can just be like with your friends. And like I was saying earlier with kind of the introductory nature of one shots, um, it can be beautiful to be like with a bunch of friends and just be like, Hey, you guys want to roll a D 20 and try to do some kind of fun improv stuff. Um, and you can create some beautiful moments from that that could eventually evolve into a weekly, like actual full fledged campaign. Maybe it's in poor taste to say, but one shots can also be used to demo players, both from the gym side oh. and from the player's side. Because there's been mm-hmm. people who I've been on the fence about playing a whole campaign with. Like, maybe I like them, but I don't like them for f- four hours a week for the next two years. Yeah. Uh, you know who you are. But there's definitely some people that you just don't want to uh, commit to. And and actually, yeah. some players who aren't sure if they want to commit to a and d game. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it's something like they're only home for a spring break or a summer break, and you want to run a game for them. Yeah. One-shots serve so many purposes, um, you know, they could be introductory, they can be, um, to fill an off night. Um, you can use them for so many different things. Um, so, so I guess asking like, like what are some of the, what are some of the most memorable one shots you guys can remember from your, uh, time in the, in the trenches? Oh, oh. um, so arguably jake you could probably classify my entire campaigns as one shots because they only last <laughs> a few sessions uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is um it was i think it was three sessions and i don't know if i came up with the idea or if somebody challenged me to do it but they the idea was the hunger games combined with um i think it was really just the hunger games on the moon it was the idea and so um, there's like this tournament every couple of years and all these teams compete. They teleport you to this moonlit um, orbiting their main planet and it's like this jungle type of moon. And you have to get to the other side of the moon and the one who gets there gets a wish. So it's a big deal. Oh. Um, and so I told the players, like, here's my idea for it and I want you to make characters f- 
with with this in mind. Like you are competitors and you're here to win. And all I did was I, I had a bunch of other teams that were competing. They all had these fun, like very broad themes. And um, and then they went for it. And man, it was just a, a tremendously fast paced. It was really satisfying in my opinion. Um, and it's something that I've uh, really come back to. Like I go back to my notes for that adventure because it was so minimal. Like I didn't really invest much time in prepping. But what I did prep was all useful at the table. And it, and that's it was different than my normal prep. It was different than my normal group. And the game was so much better for it. Mm. Um, I think for me, most of my most memorable one-shots have been around Halloween. Um, and I've had this tr- like tradition of doing like a Halloween one-shot um, that usually is Call of Cthulhu. Hmm. Um, and we, we will do something, uh, in line with that, that is super spooky and scary. And even if that's like our traditional, okay, we play D and D every, you know, Thursday night or whatever, this Thursday is going to be just, you pick new characters, your paranormal investigators, it gets really crazy. Um, and so I carried on that tradition, uh, into my 5e games that have been ongoing where I've kind of made... Uh, around Halloween time, they will experience a haunted house or something <laughs> really spooky. Um, but I feel like my my dips into Call of Cthulhu and that brand of horror um, are some of the most most memorable one shots I've had. I think my favorite games have been one shots, just in general, just because they're so tight and compact and just very neat. I remember when. One of the more memorable one-shots that I was a part of was... This was one of the first games that I ever played in with Will. And it was kind of a subset of a larger campaign where we had gone into the minds of these other characters. And oh, we yeah. were aboard. We were trying to figure out what happened aboard this alien spacecraft. And there's kind of like horror elements. and Oh, I was in that, wasn't I? Yeah. Wow, we were all in that. That was, that was a long time ago. I just remember... Oh, it was just yes. the, the whole story. It was it was very tight and just fast moving, and it was just a really good adventure. And it kind of played out as a one shot in this larger game. Mm-hmm. I remember that because um, the idea was that you were in space on this um, hulking like it, star destroyer type of thing, mm-hmm. and they had recovered these soldiers' bodies from like just drifting in space. Yeah. Um, and they were comatose or dead or something, and but they had technology that could put your consciousness into their minds so you could relive their last moments to yes. solve the mystery. And that was the basis for this uh, sort of a subset, like David said, a, a, a one shot within a campaign. And it was yeah. tremendously good. Yeah, It was great. It felt like the tone felt like uh, aliens mm-hmm. did uh, dead space. Yeah, and that's what I was going for. Yeah, and it would yeah, it was super interesting with all this like kind of rogue AI mixed with this like crazy paranormal alien stuff. Yeah, it was great. I wonder if I have the notes for that somewhere. There's probably a Google Doc probably buried in the recesses of uh, of the internet. <laughs> of the docs. <laughs> of the docs. <laughs> um okay, so let let's talk about designing a one shot. Like what are the things you have to keep in mind? Um, when when going into designing a game that is only supposed to last one session, like how do you go about kind of with that time constraint in mind? How do you go about designing a one shot? The most important thing to remember is that um, 
there's a lot of slack time, just downtime in D&D, which for me uh, is personally very obnoxious. Uh, shopping and visiting town and travel. Like anything that does not completely serve your adventure needs to be cut. And so um, instead of like if you're playing a, a campaign, you can say, okay, we start in town. You're going to head out to your adventuring site. Um, but so go shopping. Um, in a one shot, you say, okay, you arrive at the doors of the dungeon. What do you do? You're there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you, number one, it's cut the fat. Mm-hmm. So any travel, mm-hmm. you just kind of, you do a Star Wars wipe and just move on and you're you're at where you need to be or you're at the next important story mm-hmm. moment or story a- Unless beat. the travel beat ha- has some bearing on yeah, it. very important. Yeah, and, and yeah. unless there's some sort of important note about the travel, like you just need to cut to the action. So uh, I think a good thing that can often aid in this, because it's very hard when you're a dungeon master trying to create this this one shot or this like arc, um, is you're like, oh gosh, I've trimmed all the fat. What else? I, I can't cut out this. I can't cut out this. Um, I think a good way to, to maybe trim the fat from the beginning uh, is to have all the characters maybe already know each other mm-hmm. and yes. start uh, in literature sense uh, called in media res which means like in the middle of the action. Mm-hmm. And I think that is is really that can be a good way to introduce action early. Um like maybe you have a big boss scene, but other than that there isn't much like combat because you're worried that that might drag on and take too much time, um especially in 5e. Um and so a good way to be like maybe you start in the middle of a fight and just explain it very viscerally and quickly and all the players know each other um and and have that that very quick thing at the beginning that kind of introduces them and just shoves them into the story essentially as, as fast as you can. I think that could be a I good love technique. That. That, no, that's great. And I, I like to take it one step further and generally for one shots, I lean towards having pre-made characters and ah. this allows more control over the story. So you can have, part of their backstory partially developed you don't you don't want to fully make the characters and have a 10 page backstory for each character that you're going to use once but you want to kind of have the broad strokes and say you know what maybe the this is the reason why these characters already know each other and then you kind of give it to the players with a a strong idea of what the character already is when they jump into the game Mm -hmm. so you're saying like um I, let's say I have four pre-made characters. Mm-hmm. I have like the doctor, the witch, yes, um, like these kind of broad concepts that the players can then go in and fill the details in on. Yeah, they can fill in all the the niche details on their own and interpret the character however they want to. But the the kind of the broad strokes are already there and already filled in, so that you, when you go and you're planning this the 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 one shot arc, you kind of know how the characters are going to be solving these problems based off of their archetypes and who they might know in the story and how you can drag, how you can lure them in with character-specific plot hooks, which you might not be able to do if they come up to the game with a character that you have no idea what what it is until the day of. And that's what I did in that uh, Space Marine adventure was I had, I think it was five marines and they were all different ranks and they yeah. all had different strengths and weaknesses all different classes. yeah 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 different classes different the engineer weapons. the medic yeah i yeah yeah and it was super easy because then the players pick out the ones that they are drawn to yeah and um everybody has they still have a good time uh, knowing mm-hmm. also that the characters are essentially temporary because they're going to go away at the end of the adventure. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I think that, especially for one-shots, character creation isn't super important. You don't need to have your custom uh, divination warlock wizard hybrid combo uh, that warforged. Well, I think it depends on the pre-made and what you're going for. Because like, if you were doing a one-shot of, let's say, like Pathfinder 2nd Edition, mm-hmm. um, maybe part of the reason you're doing that is a curiosity to see how character building works. Okay, yeah. yeah. But if it's... if if uh, If... You're just doing the one shot for the story itself and for the adventure, and you're not doing it to test a new system or anything along those lines. Then I definitely, it's it's just something that is takes a lot of time away. I, I think find... for me, it it just depends on how much time you have, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. my players, oh my gosh, love making characters, <laughs> and so if I go, hey, we're doing a random haunted house one shot uh, at level five make a level five character they are going to be scouring D D beyond and they will have a amazing character sheet ready the night of um and so that and they love that like okay oh my gosh mine is a multi-class barbarian uh uh barbarian druid that's like ready for action um and it's like they love that stuff so i think it just depends on how much time you have you know if you're playing with casual people um, who you might not know that well, then yeah, pre-mades are are amazing. If you're playing with improv comedians <laughs> like myself, uh, <laughs> like being being given a character sheet is the, one of the most glorious times where it's like, oh my gosh, like it's like in Whose Lives Anyway, where you just open up the card, you're like, oh crap, I have to be this. It's that's so fun. Uh, so yeah, I think it just depends on how much time yeah. you have and what kind of players you have. Yeah. yeah, and the goals of the system. I think. Yeah, I think getting back to the what uh, what you should have in mind when designing a one shot is the amount of combat encounters that you have. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. combat encounters are one of the most time consuming parts of D anD D, and if you aren't strict about the combat that your players can get into, then you're gonna find yourself short on time later on and you're not going to be able to get through everything if you're you know throwing in random encounters or mm-hmm. doing all sorts of things like that i think that in my opinion if you're doing a one shot you shouldn't have random encounters at all i don't think there should be any yeah, I, yeah. anything I, that I, is everything should be everything very, should be scripted mm-hmm. yeah chosen everything should be i mean it's like you think of like a script of a movie um a lot a lot of people who write movies complain that they wish they were tv writers because they'd have more time Mm. uh to explore their ideas and so Mm. yeah when you think of a a D campaign it's oftentimes more like a tv series um or a comic book series or a long-running whatever but like you really have to narrow it down into a tight perfect script uh that is prepared for um for a certain amount of time and that's rough and it it leads me into a question of like do one shots have more railroading than a standard campaign yes yeah for sure they have to i think that you can't have a concise short punchy story without having any sort of railroading i think that you have to allow the dm to guide you and be willing to fly along those rails and just trust that they they have an angle in mind and that they 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 know where they want to lead you. So, Jake, actually, I have an interesting um, a, a 
thought on that, but I have to tell you something else to get to it. So I'm not changing the All subject. Right. Um, Let's hear it. This is back on my Hunger Games Moon Planet adventure. And the way I wrote this was in scenes. And I, I really recommend if you're going to do a one-shot, maybe even in your main campaign, think about scenes. And so I had like... Um, like, here's the beginning scene. Here's when they meet the characters. Here is, like, traversing through the portal to the planet. Here's um, whatever. Like, and you have it sort of mapped out. You don't necessarily know every single thing that's going to happen, but here's the environment. Here's generally um, the outline. Um, instead of doing random encounters, what I did was I had randomized encounters. Um, and I, maybe that's the exact same. But what I had was a series of discrete, separate, fully written out scenes. Um, I think I had ten of them. And they can be played in any order. And so depending on what the players were doing or where they were going or what felt right for the pacing, I would just pick one off my list and that's where they were next. Oh, okay. And so that way it wasn't totally railroady. I could still be somewhat surprised as the game master. Um, but it And it gave room for them to maneuver um, and do different things. But it, mm. it, I wasn't rolling dice on this and they weren't all combat encounters, but they were randomized scenes within the game. Yeah, That's no, I, I I definitely do this something similar when I design a one shot where I have these are all the scenes that I want to have happen, and then somehow I gotta tie them all together, and and that's usually what's left to interpretation the day of is you know I have all of the moments that I know where I'm gonna lead them. I just like I I figure out how to tie them together on the fly, and usually I have ideas in my head mm-hmm. and kind of light plot hooks, but generally as long as you have all of those scenes and those big story beats whatever you want to call them that's those that's the most important part and making sure that you can get through all of them and that they're not Mm -hmm. all super time consuming or very combat heavy Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely how would you guys introduce a new world in one session oftentimes i find myself playing in a entirely new campaign setting or world when I do one shot. So how do you guys like to introduce the world and make it more knowable? <laughs> I have oh. a hot take. <laughs> I have a hot take. Um, you don't really need to communicate very much to your players. Like you think that it matters like the, Oh, this planet has two moons and the day and night cycle is different depending on like, that doesn't really matter. Okay. No, hold on. I got it. Okay. So in uh, Critical Role, which yes. I'm sure many yes. people listen to, yeah, I, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's season two. They like look up at the star and the, the stars in the sky and the starry night and they see two moons <laughs> and they're just like, wait, what? And like all of these players have been playing in this world for years. Yes. Like I think what, four years? Something like that. Oh my God. <laughs> So Matt's like, you guys never looked up. <laughs> He's like, that's always been the case. Um, and so that that uh, proves a very um, obvious case that, like, you don't need to give them insane astrological information about your world. You just need to know, like we've talked about in our world building episode, the micro scale. What What is the city like? What And you want beautiful, juicy details for that micro scale stuff, but... Mm-hmm. You don't have to give them a massive. So you live on this sort of planet, would have which has this amount of moons and these type of climates and this sort of area, and it's like okay, just <laughs> give them the tavern, give them the city, give them the the dungeon. You want to give them what's That's, relevant. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you want relevant. to nail that right. You want to give them super good relevant uh, information for the micro scale. 
Um, but macro, you can give them little tidbits, but it, it really, unless they ask, shouldn't matter that much. And it shouldn't take too much of the time. Because like we said, on one-shots, everything is on a timer. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, uh, if I'm remembering from my Hunger Games game, um, I heard this on a different podcast, on a Star Wars podcast. I've forgotten the name of it. But they say use the Star Wars intro text rule, which is like three short paragraphs is all you get. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and that's about all I get. Like, if you cannot boil your campaign concept to three short paragraphs for your players to digest, um, then, well, I mean, you just need to try harder or maybe simplify your vision for your... Oh, your my gosh. Character. I think that I think that goes for any campaign, though, even broadening this out from one-shots. Like, mm-hmm. that rule of, like, all of this should fit into a Star Wars slider text yeah. in three paragraphs. I feel like that's really good advice. So maybe even with one-shots, like... That should fit into one paragraph, if Ooh. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to just have planned out the relevant details and reveal them as you go through it. So if they're in an area and there's some sort of significant monument, like point it out and kind of describe it, but slowly let reveal... Part of the fun of exploring a world is about revealing its yes, yeah. intrigue and mystery and not having it all revealed up front. So, yeah, keep the – I like the idea of keep the introduction short, like one paragraph, and then just kind of jump right into it and jump right into the action. I like that. Uh, yeah, and so an often a problem that I will run into with like such a well-developed, huge, massive, sprawling – worlds that my players can deal with if a new player is in there they they feel like their character is kind of a fish out of water because the player is a fish out of water um does that make sense like they're like i don't know about all this crazy world building stuff even though my character should Mm -hmm. um and so a good way to bypass that is to put the characters in a one shot put those characters into a place where they're unfamiliar with. And this is a very common tool used for one shots Oh yeah. um, to make it so that the character and the player are both unfamiliar with the environment. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are often kind of contained environments. Um, and what are some examples that you guys have used of like contained environments where the player and the character are both kind of out of their element? Haunted houses. I've oh, used this in yes, a, uh, yes, it wasn't yes. Call of Cthulhu, but it was a different system essentially emulating a, a Call of Cthulhu game. Um, the players have a, a car wreck on the, uh, this road, and they are rescued by these homeowners that run this mansion. And you can't really get away because it's out in the middle of nowhere on, like, a mountain highway. Like, there's all these, um, I don't want to say invisible walls, but there's all these limiting factors that are really yes. uh, discouraging players from just walking off. It's kind of a horror movie trope, right? You have to have, there's no cell phone service. You have um, a broken leg. Yeah, yeah. Like, all these things where, like, yeah, there are no cars in the parking lot. There has to be a way, there has to be a way that, that, that they are contained. Because if you're not in this place, if you're not forced to be stuck in this area, then it becomes more of, like, a fleeing simulator than, like, an <laughs> actual role-playing game. <laughs> Another example of sort of contained environments, an obvious one, is in sci-fi, in the spaceship. And so that is something like, think like the first Alien movie, which is such an amazing combination of sci-fi and horror. It's so amazing. So 
Uh, a spaceship, if you're playing a sci-fi game, is such a perfect example of a confined space uh, where there's so much room to do all sorts of things. But, um, I, I mean, I'm thinking of the tagline of the first alien is, in space, no one can hear you scream. In mean like the vacuum of space surrounding you, there's no escape. You can't just like jump out of the side of the ship. Like you're confined. You're forced to be in this in this space. So I think a spaceship is an obvious sci-fi example of a confined space that's perfect for a one-shot. We kind of talked about uh, uh, how do we throw your characters into the unknown, and I think that just having a group of adventurers you're almost always going to be going somewhere you don't know. And I think that I've kind of utilized that fact of, you know, you're in an unfamiliar town. Like maybe you've been here once before, but you don't really know anyone here. You don't have any, maybe you have one or two meaningful connections, but you know, everything else is kind of on the fringes and you just tell them what they do know. And then everything else is up for them to find out as they go through. Yeah. I think that kind of getting back into world building, I think that your opening scene sets the tone for your adventure so you need to kind of dictate the tone by how you want to open your what what your characters are doing and how the world is when you open up and that kind of will show the characters what your world is like immediately right away and i think that's a big tool that you can use is you know show if if your world is very high magic show, you know, a bunch of spellcasters fighting and maybe they're in some sort of combat for some reason. Or, you know, you're wandering the city streets and you're just... The things that you see as you're wandering the city streets can vastly change how you view the world. Whether it's grimy mm. and mucky or whether it's, you know, fantastic wizards flying around and doing all sorts... And you're seeing all sorts of weird creatures. Those are two different tones. And you can easily kind of set that right away. Yeah, I think what speaks testament to this is um, I when I was in California, I got to play with you guys one session for Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, and my character was like a cleric um, that had been in the Tomb of Annihilation before. <laughs> uh, and that really, I thought, oh, that'll be cool. I kind of help out Will as like a kind of secondary dungeon master. It's like, oh, I've been here before. Um, but I realized very quickly how I had changed the two of annihilation in my own mind <laughs> in my own session uh that it like was very different and also the whole technicality of like oh don't worry people i've been here before and then looking at the dungeon master and be like did what i say is that real <laughs> and so and so it right there it shows how hard it is to have like a tour guide player unless they literally know the place um, and that's why it's so important to have both the character and the player not know what's happening in a one shot. I think that's such an underrated part. Like if you want to have a great one shot, put the players and the characters in a place where no one knows what's going on. And that's really leads to honesty in the reactions, right? Because when something crazy happens, um, it's not like, oh crap, my half, uh, my half elf would be so fr afraid of this. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, like it's like you and the half elf you're playing are both like, ah, ah, ah! <laughs> like they're both afraid of what's happening because no one knows what's going on. To be fair though, in that, in that one game, 
where you thought you knew what was going to happen and <laughs> it it made the game so much better because you went through and you played as if you knew everything that was happening and all but of my character's wrong. reactions were just being pissed at your character <laughs> because he's leading us through and walking us right into all of the traps when he says he yeah. knows how to Disarm and it them. looks bad, yeah. And so, no, I think that speaks even more testament to, like, yeah, one-shots need to be the players and the characters have no idea what's going on initially. Um, and throwing them in a situation where no one's comfortable, no one's like, oh, take it easy, guys. Like, the druid's like, this is my forest. I, I know what's going on. Right? There needs to be none of that. There needs to be just pure, everyone's in a new spot. Mm. Um, so we've talked about haunted houses spaceships um i've mentioned micro planets once again Ooh, it's with the moon yeah it was a enclosed environment that seems like a totally open world so it's um messing with your mind oh um, yeah that's good but really any small location-based site is good you could put players into a dream or into like an inception type environment an island oh an island is a great one like you burn all the boats and stick them on an island like they just Ooh, cannot yeah. get away uh, though in 5e if you're running a 5e one shot uh, obviously players have a lot of tools for traversal at higher levels so you know be precautious yeah i think well this this, (laughs) no i think this honestly leads into i think one shot should be done at lower levels um i don't think you should be like hey let's do a one shot at level 15 that first off that takes a lot of character building which i'm speaking for my character or my players would love to just make random 15 like level 15 characters but i think you can't be put in in scary situations if you have so many spells and so many so many things to get you out of those scary situations. So there are two options for this. Play scary one-shots or just play one-shots in general at a lower level in 5e or play entirely different systems mm-hmm. um, where they're forced to have to make decisions. Um, they're not these crazy heroic adventurers that can just kind of snap their fingers and solve any problem um they're forced into situations that are very complicated very scary very difficult um and 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 one shots require i guess they require weakness on the player's part weakness and uncertainty on the player's part not these confident heroic high level adventurers weirdly some of my favorite systems are one shot based systems fiasco Mm -hmm. in the dark yeah super random Absolutely. All these systems are very one-shot friendly and oriented. That's so true. They're so good and the stories that you get from them are just super fun and impactful. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it's funny how the system can change the types of stories that come out of it. And part of that I think is purely uh placebo psychological on the part of the DM because uh as we mentioned before, I think especially on the Star Wars special episode um, prepping for a Star Wars adventure, let's say, um, puts you in a totally different headspace than prepping for your Forgotten Realms D&D adventure. The types of situations players are in, the types of problems they have to solve are different, and um, it'll it'll unlock your brain. The next one-shot I want to run is a game called Mothership, which is another space marines on a derelict space station type of thing. Uh, from what I can tell, the game is designed to be run in a series of one-shots, and if your characters happen to survive, they can bring them into the next adventure. So it's oh, yeah. super unique in that it's like, hey, let's bust it out. And then like, hey, if we're going to we wind up playing it a year from now, you can play as uh, Mortimer, the android who survived the Space Hulk 
whatever. <laughs> um, and that, yeah, that game is making me very excited. One of the ways in which I like to prepare for one shots is that I like to come up, I like to allow myself to find an idea that I like, that I want to build a one shot around. One of the ways I do that is by going through the monster manual and just looking at different monsters to see what are some of the different monsters that we can do. So I have a, I have a, a few monsters that I kind of want to go over and, you know, my thought process on how I would build a monster, build an adventure around maybe a specific monster or what goes through my mind. So one of the first ones is the Bahir, or is that how it's pronounced? Bahir? Um, B-E-H-I-R? Yes. So the interesting thing about this monster is when you start to read through the flavor text, they are made by storm giants. And they were created as weapons against dragons. And they have a natural hatred for dragon kind. So one of the ideas I had is that a storm giant created a Bahir and they're being cha- and the, the characters are all dragonborn hmm. characters. And they're being chased down by this Bahir. So you have this interesting dynamic of you're on the run you have to figure out how to defeat this large creature, which is comparable in stats to a dragon, hmm. but it's just very different and dynamic. So maybe in this adventure you have um, the players are stuck in some mountain pass, so yes. they're just trying to get away, relentlessly pursued by a challenge rating 11 dragon killer uh, who has got some sort of genetic vendetta against the players. That's, mm-hmm. that's really fun. Uh, and then, let's see, one of the other adventure ideas i had is built around the crawling hand or crawling claw so crawling claws are animated hands that are cut off from murderers but there if if you read down in the flavor text one of the things is that if the hand is reattached to it it's cut off from a living creature and it's reattached and the and the hand goes unattached again that person if the hand dies, they'll die. So for me, this brings up these ideas of this necromancer. Oh, yeah. So evil good. wizard has cut off the hands of the players and is having them do his bidding. And he's holding their hands hostage because if he kills the hands, it's kind of like a voodoo doll. Oh. So he is he's forcing them to do something and they have to try to figure out a way to get their hands back without dying. Yeah, wow. So it's, whole... And it's just a, it, and it's just from you know reading the text of one creature, and then I'll go over one more, and that is the flump. Oh no, not flumps! <laughs> because they can feed off the they they oh, feed off the psychic yeah. energy of other creatures, but it doesn't actually do any damage. But typically, they're found around like illithid colonies. Oh, but they like to feed off it's like a thing. positive creatures. So like adventurers. So this would be more of like an introductory character where the flump comes to them with like some sort of knowledge. Maybe I'll just run a one shot where the players have to play as flumps. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever used a flump in your game before, Jake? I have not, sadly. I think it's happened as a triggering of a uh, wild magic. Uh, oh, really? But that's it, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they pop out and just sort of flump around and don't do much. <laughs> they do have a stench spray. It doesn't really do anything. Oh, uh, Dad. It makes you smell bad. <laughs> um, let's talk about how to build a story arc for a one-shot. Because we're working on a, a tight schedule here. Yeah. So what are what are some ways we can, uh, or, or maybe even just some types of adventures we could run in this format? Yeah, I think um, I think it, it's really important to focus on that like tight schedule. Um, I like there being like a doomsday clock sort of thing. Um, that's a fun one where it's like, okay, you guys have to solve this or else the world ends. Uh, but because it's a one shot, it's like if the world ends, it doesn't, you know, my biggest fear as a dungeon master, like my world that I've created over all these years isn't destroyed. It could be a, a, a different world. Uh, so maybe like, um, kind of a doomsday clock sort of thing. Other situations where it's like escaping from prison, um, heist, heist. Ooh, yeah. that's heist a, a, that's a great, great one. Yes. Like Putting your characters in a situation where they wouldn't um, normally be in, I think, is, is a good starting point for character, like uh, just story arcs for one shots. One format that I really like is the idea of um, a secret traitor, um, oh, sort of like yes. in John Carpenter's The Thing, where uh, one shots are a great place to test out new mechanics or new crazy ideas you have that you don't want to necessarily risk your main campaign on. Um, but at the start of a campaign, maybe you give somebody a piece of paper that says, hey, you're the traitor. Um, you're trying to do such and such thing, such and such goal uh, before the end. Um, and there's there's one adventure in particular that uh, that does that and involves a mining drill. And you're trying to save this planet from detonating. And all the players are going to sacrifice their lives. But then um, one of the players decides not to. And... <laughs> Wait, did you play this? No, it's one that I want to run for you guys. I, I swear, I played... I... I, I told you a little bit about okay, it. Okay, you probably told me about it, and now I've imagined playing it in yes, my head. Yes, yes. Um, as I mentioned with my scene, uh, random, so, it's not randomly selected, but my um, non-linear scene progression, um, if you do have your world split into scenes, or your, your game split into scenes, you can pace it differently. So maybe like, oh, I was planning on having three things happen before they got from A to B, but now we're short on time, so we're only going to have one of those things happen. It lets you modulate um, and maybe even remove the scene completely. It lets you modulate and uh, maintain that tight schedule that you're aiming for while, you, while you're still hitting those big story beats yeah. of you know yeah. getting middle and end. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the, the biggest keys for building a story arc is focus on one specific scene or moment or idea and expand upon that so you'll let's say you want to start with the the players escaping from a dragon with all of his gold mm. so and and that's the main plot of your one-shot adventure so how do you how do the players get into the dragon's lair where's the dragon's lair at you know how do they find it how do they know of this you know how they're going to try to sneak past the dragon all of those things are questions that need to be asked or asked and then answered and then that is going to inform your big story beats and just from that one idea of escaping from a dragon's lair with all of his treasure and i think that from how you want to answer those questions that's going to give you a solid idea for a story arc and then you just slowly refine it and then you know get to the where you want to go with it. Yeah. All right, so, so let's squeeze this lemon until there's nothing but rind left. The <laughs> so so the what are the quintessential necessary aspects of a one shot? So so I'll go first. The first thing is is 
focus, right? There's no room for a player to say, all right, gang, let's head north. There's just, there's no room for that. And that's where a little railroading is kind of just part of the recipe for a one shot. There's no room for people just going off the rails. There, There is this kind of very planned, short, tight, uh, well-designed story arc that, that kind of um, is essential. Um, and so that is, that is one thing, focus. What are some other things that are just necessary aspects that Dungeon Masters have to consider when making one-shots? Well, I think, I, I'm sorry, David. Well, I, I like, I want to I expand a little bit more on your, like, focus. And I think that if we, let's say, I like using the adventures for an example because it's a great movie. So at any point in time, like, it would be weird if the characters just said, you know what, let's just sit down and have a drink. Like, in the store. <laughs> yeah, 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 you feel like there are so many things that they should be doing. Like, that's the kind of focus that you want to give your players, is that they shouldn't have town time. So, because urgency. They have so many... Yeah, there's urgency. Yeah. There's so many things that they need to be focusing on, they need to be mm-hmm. doing. You need to give your players purpose in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also really important to have a very strong theme. And every decision you make, everything you present to the players reinforces that theme. Yeah. Like, oh, you're you're fighting uh, nano machine uh, horror monsters on an alien spaceship. Like every scene is going to enforce that. Yeah. If you're if you're doing um, like that island adventure, like you're going to remind them every turn, every scene that they are on that island and that, that their resources are depleting. You know, like it's just hammer it home. Really, it's don't talk about anything else that doesn't in some way revolve around that core theme. This is the hub cap or the, uh, what do they say? It's the hub that the spokes turn around is that yeah. core idea. I think echoing off that, um, one shots are a great opportunity to try out themes that you might not have utilized before in your normal campaigns. Um, so obviously we've talked about in this episode, stuff like horror, um, can be a great one. Uh, stuff <coughs> like, uh, survival games where like you maybe have, limited resources that are constantly depleting um one shots are an opportunity to try out and test different systems and different especially different tones um to see how your players react to them um to see how see if your players like um reacting to these sort of tones that's true and maybe that's why it's so important to do these in a smaller format because um i we talked about this on the House Rules episode. This is your chance to try out things that might be controversial, uh, things that your players think they might not enjoy. Uh, and because there's no pressure of saying, like, oh, here's a change that we're going to live with for the Forever. next year of our actual lives. It's like, oh, no, it's just for tonight. Like, we'll just try it out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think the players will find stuff. They're like, oh, that's actually a really cool system, right? Like mm-hmm. adding in, like, an insanity system for a horror game um, or adding in like a resource management management system for a survival game, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You, you try out in one shots and you'll be surprised how much the players who were probably many of them vehemently against until they're like, Oh no, that made it way more fun. Yeah. As David mentioned, timers or um, urgency are very important. And maybe this is something you put out in front of the players. Um, there's a, a uh, method I've seen where you just roll a uh, D4 and whatever that lands on, you say, okay, like this is going to happen in this many turns and it, it's just going to happen. And and then you're pushing this pressure for the entire session. 
Um, and maybe that can be exhausting, so maybe you're not constantly rolling that timer in front of the players, but there's some clear and present threat that's after them. That dragon, uh, the dragon eater, the bee here, is coming down the mountain, and it's going to eat you. Like, you cannot stop for camp, you cannot eat food, you have exhaustion, you will die. Yeah. I'm just imagining a a whole one-shot built around a a group of people trying to defuse a bomb, and mm. it's in its real-life time. And there's oh. two hours, and you can see the timer ticking down, and they're trying to do it in real time, like trying to figure out how to solve it. Mm. Like that would be a very hard one to run, but I think it could be really fun. Well, uh, so what you do is you have the person on the bomb, and then like this team of operatives who are like getting information across the city and radioing in, yeah. and you're so you're playing flashbacks, you're playing different scenes across the town to get enough information to defuse the bomb. Like, see, and this is some experimental stuff yeah. that like is crazy, but you could just try it for one night. Yeah, it's and for if one it falls night. Apart, doesn't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of one shots is that there there really is is not that much buy in. It's like um, this is we're just gonna try this out. If it fails, it fails. If it works, then the rest of our nights, our role playing nights, will be even better. Um. All right. I think we're gonna move into plot hooks one shot edition. <laughs> Let's build a nice big one-shot adventure. We've done this method in the past using our action verbs. And what we're going to do is go around and we're going to pick out um, some verbs and build an adventure around it. Uh, Specifically with a one-shot in mind, but of course this works for any adventuring night. Let's start over here with David. What's your verb? Banish. Oh, banish. All right. My verb is diffuse, building off of what... David just said about that bomb. Oh, okay. Uh, mine is protect. Hmm. Is it back to me? Yes. Traverse. Traverse. Oh, discover. All right. This is an interesting one. Okay. Mm. Wow. Two that seemingly don't work very well together and diffuse and banish. Mm. That's going to be something. No, this will be good. So, so we have a little more leeway, right? Because we're not, um, we're creating this with more of a railroady uh, sense yep. in mind because we're, we're trying to imagine this, envision this as a one shot, not like a, a campaign plot hook. So, what do you guys think would be a good one to start off with? So, we have banish, well, diffuse, protect, traverse, and discover. Well, uh, the first thing that leaps to mind is um, we can group the last three together, and that is protect, traverse, and discover. So um, in this scenario, you're you're traveling with somebody, probably a powerful magic user, uh, into an environment of some kind, a dangerous environment, uh, traversing this terrain um, with the, the goal is to discover the important object, and then um, I don't know how banish and diffuse fit in there. So, so the oh, first goal would be so the first I guess plot point is that you're traversing across somewhere, and then once you get there, you're trying to discover something. Yes. So uh, so technically, protect would be the first thing because I really love yes. uh, VIP missions where like you're you're really like almost like the secret service trying to protect this. Um, oftentimes, I'll, I'll make it in my games like a criminal, or you're trying to protect this person who doesn't want to be protected. Um, but yeah, like that's. Can we agree that's a starting point? Like there's this, maybe it's a, a wizard that's the only person who knows the spell that could diffuse or banish whatever's the, the later yeah. thing. So that's what I'm thinking is that the the wizard is going somewhere to banish some sort and of And they need uh, bodyguards. Yes. And somehow along the way, there's a tense situation that you need to somehow diffuse. 
Okay. So okay. So the first one we have protect. Um, I think the next one would probably be traverse, right? So you're so we're protecting this wizard. Um, that is the only one that can banish this thing. Um, so banish is kind of so we kind of have traverse the first or protect the first one, banish is the last one. So kind of protect, and then you're tra you're protecting this wizard as you're traversing this environment. What kind of environment? All right. So I have I have some ideas. Okay. Um, let's change this wizard into a powerful prodigy uh, wizard girl. Okay. Young, young girl. What if we change the wizard into, it's an escort mission, but it's a prisoner instead. Exactly what I was thinking. And yes. so we are protecting this person, not not protecting, okay, let me get this right. If this person is allowed to continue living or existing here, then something terrible is going to happen. So we're protecting um, this escort, like we're a caravan, yeah. uh, bringing her to a, a location where she will be banished. Off the maybe plane of existence. Exactly. Yeah, okay. We're sending her, maybe she's some elemental fey creature, oh. and she's too dangerous. And so we need to send her back. Like a there's only one site. Exactly. And there's only one site, maybe deep in this, this jungle area or a mountainous um, wasteland, and her people are coming to get her back. Oh, okay. And she's like maybe this prophetic key to the apocalypse or something. Exactly. Because remember, because remember, going. it's it's one shot. So the stakes have to be. Oh, that's another thing. I guess we didn't mention earlier. The stakes should be really, really, really high. Um, oh yeah. So so I think maybe she is the key to some prophetic. I like her being like a fire genasi, mm -hmm. um, and maybe the rest of the fire genasis are like this brand new race of creatures. Um, are they need her to complete this ritual that will maybe erupt a volcano? That will just, yeah. just just cover the world in ash and magma, and so you guys are like, okay, we gotta get her out of here. We gotta banish her to the plane of fire, where she will be yep. fine, uh, but she just won't be able to to finish this ritual. Okay, I, I like that. Maybe the timer could be that um, she's going. Well, it sounds silly, but she's going to explode, or in some way, like she's going to trigger this thing unless you get here, oh, no, get like, her there. Trigger the volcano. Yeah, like like maybe if she, like the whole thing, maybe the whole prophecy is if she's on this plane of existence, the the volcano will go off, yes. unless she's Ooh. not on the plane of existence. And I like this because it's her as this maybe a younger girl who will have opportunities to communicate with the players and would just be this kind-hearted child who's like, "What is happening? I don't understand what's going on. Why are you guys oh, taking yeah. me?" Just adding this yeah. kind of moral complexity to the whole kind of caravan that is traversing this environment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, maybe they have to go through some sort of hostile territory. Like mm -hmm. the jungle is in it's it's surrounded by tribes of people who are unfriendly. Fire cultists. I'm thinking of like not, yeah, like fire I'm not even thinking fire cultists. I'm thinking that fire cultists are actively trying to attack you, but you are going through some sort of like spork territory. Oh, oh no, no, it, David, dinosaurs. You have to, oh, dinosaurs. of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to deal with people who are dino riders who are very basic and they yes. they don't understand the stakes that are at play, and you're trying to defuse yeah, that situation. Very primitive tribal. Oh, it's like, that's good. It's really you good. can't really. I mean, maybe if you roll like a nat twenty on intimidation or persuasion, but most likely yeah. you're going to have to deal with orcs riding velociraptors, being like what we're we want to attack you so remember we we want to avoid a lot of long combats yes. so i think that we would probably build maybe one set piece encounter and yes. the rest of the 
quote unquote combat is um, just a, a drain on your resources cinematically. Yeah. Like arrows are constantly flying, you're getting hit, your armor's getting chipped, and so uh, you're just sort of taxing the player's hit points or spell slots so or whatever he, um, he, every few scenes. You're right. So I think like there should be, in my opinion, I, I like starting in media res. Like you guys are like, okay, we're in this caravan, we're moving, we're trying to get this this uh, this fire genasi off this plane of existence. We got to get to the probably this like weird place that's like a portal um, to get her right. off. Um, but I, I like there being one kind of mid, almost like Act 2 set piece where maybe it's a massive orc chieftain in this rainbow feathered armor who's on a T-Rex. Oh, um, yeah. And so it's like, Ooh, so, so it's like that, that's kind of the one encounter. Like you, you can obviously like kind of move past the other orcs, but eventually, like, no matter what happens, that's going to be the encounter encounter for the mm-hmm. midpoint. So, so I like that. And then... Obviously, you know, they overcome that and move towards the the portal. Um, what is the end game portion of this? What is the kind of last, like, act three? How do they activate the portal? How do they... So I'm imagining... So my I'm now ma- imagining that the portal is inside the volcano that is going to erupt. Oh, what? So they're actively oh, having to... They're having to fight through fire cultists to get to the portal on time. Hmm. No, okay. I I think to make this or something to make this so it isn't like um oh like what if they get caught up by the fire cultists? I think they get there first and they have to defend from the fire cultists like ascending the volcano mm. and then they have now, to do something. I I'm all for a good moral dilemma. So what if um throughout this adventure this this young girl has been talking about another way? There must be another way. Oh man! And and so. Maybe you slip a note to a player in the third act. Let's get some betrayal going. That says like there is a way to save her, and not have the volcano go off. Like you get to diffuse the situation a different way. And so, um, just to to have that last scene be full of strife oh, okay. and conflict. Okay, so yeah, I love this. I don't want it to be like deceptive though. I think that's that's something that's almost a red flag in um, when you're doing one shots. Is you don't want them to be tricked. Right, like you don't want the it's everything to end, and it's like, oh crap, the volcano went off, and then the one player who is the betrayer was like, oh wait, I thought she was the good guy. What the hell? Um, <laughs> like, I, I think it should be maybe they sense being like, we will give you infinite wealth, um, or like the the, uh, the clans of the uh, the plane of fire will completely make you invulnerable to flame, and will reward you if you keep mm. me on this plane of existence, something like that, because. When it's a one-shot, remember, all the players are more likely to betray because there are no long-term consequences. There are no, oh, crap, I have to roll a new character. So I, I like it being less like, haha, as the dungeon master, I tricked you. More like, oh, your character is greedy and they might try to do this. Mm-hmm. Like kind of feeding into to one of the players. But I, I like that. The final confrontation should have one of the players turn on the rest of the party to make it oh to bring it up to, to the next level so good i would also like to see a player travel through the portal with the girl um which effectively kills them oh, but it's like sacrifice some sort of, yeah the ultimate sacrifice stuff is really big in one shots because it, it just doesn't really matter yeah but it's dramatically always super cool yes. 
to have that happen. Yes, that's I cannot agree with that enough. Like I said earlier, with like kind of the tempting players, they're more likely to accept because they're like, okay, it's just a one shot. I can betray my friends and it won't have long term consequences. Same way with like, I can help my friends, I can give this heroic sacrifice and it won't have long term consequences. I won't have to re roll a new character. Um, same way, like make the stakes higher in in any way you can. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's super beneficial. It just makes the story better. I mean, it's it's the reason why I don't like to watch Hallmark movies and I like to watch terrible sci-fi movies instead because the Hallmark movies, if anything bad happens, I mean, the the stakes are not that high. The girl doesn't date <laughs> the guy, right? But like in a bad sci-fi movie, no matter how terrible the sci-fi movie is, the stakes are normally pretty high. <laughs> like the world explodes <laughs> or something. So always keep in mind, keep the stakes really high with one shots. But oh my gosh, I'm loving this one. I want to play this one. Now. I, yeah. So so what is the, the final like key? What is the the banishment ritual like? What what are the, what are they doing to like what is the timer that they're trying to defend? I mean, it could be waves of enemies coming up. Um, Imagine it's just a round-based timer. Yeah. Like you say you have to survive for four rounds. So, so is fight. there? I guess in the caravan, there's a wizard who's like just he's in charge, and you guys are just defending the wizard as he banishes Maybe, this yeah. uh, this child. He casts the banishment. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I think I think that even if uh, assuming nobody betrays anybody, um, once the portal closes and the girl is gone, the players will die. Like there's so oh, no. such a strong so it's, presence it's a in the Rogue jungle. One type situation. Yeah. Yes. Just once again, we're gonna raise those stakes as high as they'll go. <laughs> yes. Yes. And maybe that's something that players know up front is that very likely it this does, is a suicide does, mission. Yes. So that's it. What we some kind of suicide squad? That it's so important, They're, and these are the most elite people that they could send on this yes, mission. Yes, that's wonderful. I love that. This is a perfect example. I, I've done this, but. Um, when I was first doing role playing, I did basically the plot of Rogue One um, because you know they mention it so much in the in the original trilogy. Um, I was like, yeah, it's a perfect, literally a one shot where it's like you have to do whatever it takes to get the Death Star plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that yeah, that's a perfect example of the one shot having the super high stakes and like knowing oh my character isn't canon. If that makes sense. Like, my character isn't, like, going... Probably isn't <laughs> going to survive this. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. I can't believe... Uh, so, for those of you listening at home, we did not prepare this beforehand. What you just oh, listened no. to was pure creation uh, and collaboration. <laughs> and I'm really... Improv. I'm really energized by this whole thing. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, to finish us off, let's move into the question vault. Welcome to the Question Vault. Each week we will answer one of your questions. You can submit your question to voxercannapodcast at gmail.com. This week's question is from Daniel, coming all the way from Sweden. Guys, we have people in Sweden listening to our voices and not only tolerating them, but writing into the show. (laughs) Wow. I'm impressed. Oh, I love it. Okay. So this is from Daniel. He says, hi, I'm working on a water temple dungeon. What do you guys think would be exciting to put in? Oh, all right. So first of all, I'm getting Zelda vibes, um, but it's it's a solid theme. Like it's a great. Theme so for a so I think that the um there are two types of water dungeons. Uh, the first one is completely underwater, 
where it's like this, like everything is submerged at the bottom of the ocean type of water dungeon. Um, the other one, which I am more privy to, is um, the dungeon that is like almost halfway underwater. So that like mm. there are all these certain things and you can obviously interact above water and below water. Um, and there's all these kind of ruins and stuff. Um, I guess we can't really ask Daniel which one he's he's making. Maybe maybe the underwater temple is sinking into the water. Oh, that's good. That's and what... it's on a timer. Yeah. Which, you know, we love timers here on the, on the podcast. <laughs> so you have to go in and you have to explore it and try to get through it before the timer runs out. Otherwise, no. you're going to be stuck underwater. I think that's a good... Um... I, th- I think that's a really good timer. I think it, you obviously shouldn't do that, like, the first time they enter the dungeon. Um, I think that should be something maybe when, like, if they fail or if uh, at the end, maybe in the boss fight, that the, the water level is subtly rising. Oh. That is something where you can, that's like, good. raise the stakes at the end. But um, I think water temple dungeons... Why do, why do we call them water temple dungeons? I guess... Oh, I guess that's what he said. But, um, yeah, I... <laughs> For me, uh, Daniel, I think you should include uh, a hydra. Obviously, hydras are are very aquatic beasts that have multi heads, and they they have just so many attacks um, and so many um, answers to players' sneakiness that like just makes them so great. Um, I think hydras with their their many heads, and you cut off the heads, and more heads come out. Um, hydras are a great addition to a water temple dungeon what else what are you guys thinking i hate octopuses <laughs> Octopi. wait octopuses. no no no. we know that but what about the water temple <laughs> <laughs> i i think that octopi are a great addition to any sort of aquatic game just because they are terrifying creatures if they were oh. larger i wouldn't go into the ocean no, they're scary dude that beak they why are. do they have a beak oh. that is yeah. what really upsets me they shouldn't have a beak or, oh god nope yeah just yeah any sort of tentacle creature that goes underwater is perfect yeah <laughs> and also it's the only place they can exist right right oh no right <laughs> um i so my suggestion for a creature is um the nereid um i just found them on dnd beyond i typed in water and i found them uh this is a um from what i can tell sort of a fey creature that is based on water made of water typically they can be um tricksters or whatever but i like the idea of in dungeons having the opportunity for role play and solving problems that don't revolve around drawing your sword and um so let's put something in there we can negotiate with maybe they can create um bubbles or like pathways where they move the water out of the way oh, and create tunnels yeah. in the water that's cool because because if you're underwater like just really play up that theme really hit it hard um there's some really cool actually in world of warcraft there was a, a specific dungeon um i forget the name of it where um the whole thing is really just a bubble that's like magically created oh, yeah, and, yeah 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 and you're like looking and the walls are just the ocean yeah like, there's no real wall and you're seeing creatures swimming there I like, you know, like Moses crossing the Red Sea. Yeah, you can see um, the fish it's, swimming. And... It's right there. Ooh. Yeah, super cool idea. And so that way, instead of your corridors being made out of um, stone, theoretically, they could just be carved right out of the water. Um, super fun. Yeah. Um, one, so I got two things. The one thing is from uh, uh, Tales from the Awning Portal uh, has a dungeon that is super fun called White Plume Mountain. Um, and in White Plume Mountain, there is something like this where you go underwater and all the water is, this is inside a volcano. So all the water is like superheated, almost steam. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's inside of this um, membrane, like this this thin see-through skin that is just like covering like a bubble where you fight this kind of half mechanical crab. It is abs- <laughs> it is absolutely silly. But when you realize this White Plume Mountain was, I think, made for first edition, maybe second edition. Uh, advanced but you realize okay yeah it's like it has all this stuff but the main thing is like you can't pierce the membrane or else the whole place oh. will be filled with like boiling water um that's so cool yeah so it's, but at least you get like some nice boiled crab <laughs> yeah and boiled player uh well uh, sorry boiled <laughs> character um yeah so it, it's it, it adds all these elements of complexity to it um i think the same thing with will said having like the the kind of walls of water could be really cool um but there maybe there's like pylons that are holding them up and if the pylons get oh, damaged that's great. then like the water just pours in um, that's the uh, environmental factors yes, that yes i just freaking love yes i think water temple like like water dungeons have so much opportunity for um the environmental factors like really playing a huge role like the water level rising or boiling water spilling in whatever um and but the last thing i really think uh you can add to water dungeons is the uh horror element because when you're swimming through water don't make it clear make it to where it's worse than dark vision like they can't see and and this is something that i've done with my players before um that just freaks them out just be like you hit something a very large rough thing in the water and when you're underwater, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Like, is it a shark? Is it a massive, oh my god. And it might be nothing. It might be a submerged statue. It doesn't matter. If they can't see in this 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 uh, this dark water, this maybe murky water, it they, their imagination will do all the work for you. <laughs> so I, I would uh, incorporate horror elements when they can't see below potentially murky water. Man. What a cool theme for a dungeon. I'm I'm taking this. I'm taking. Yeah, I think they're underrated. I think Daniel from Sweden has uh, has something special here. He really hit the water nail on the hammerhead. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the question vault. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode forty six. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at VoxArcanaPod. And you can email us at VoxArcanaPodcast at gmail.com. I hate octopuses. <laughs> <laughs>